Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Of the corn grown in the United States is uh, GMO, 
and uh, upwards of 95% of the soybeans is uh, is GMO. And there's actually been tremendous pushback against soybeans in general because of the uh, medicinal effects and the toxicity of soybeans. Uh, soybeans have a constituent in them that mimics estrogen. So uh, so a lot of people don't like it, uh, certainly for straight soy foods, soy milk, things like that. They consider it to be poison. It's got to be fermented up to three years before uh, before it's considered safe to eat. That's by a lot of people who are... Uh, um, you know, very knowledgeable about food. Unfortunately, soybeans, corn, it's, it's cash crops. It's, it's in just about everything that you eat. If you're a vegetarian, it's a huge part of your diet. Even if you're a meat eater, it ends up in a lot of things. I mean, you find it in, even in flour, certain flours, certain, uh, um, a lot of foods that you purchase contain soy, uh, soy products in there in some capacity because there's just so much of it and so inexpensive, so easy to grow. Uh, but the topic today is not necessarily about the, well, it is as a, as a, about the soybeans and corn peripherally. It is about uh, people's right to know what's in their food. And uh, there's been a great deal of debate these past two weeks over new leg. Well, it's not so new legislation. It actually passed the House a little bit ago. It's called the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015. Sounds wonderful. Sounds like uh, uh, lawmakers are going to get involved here and are finally going to give consumers what the overwhelming majority of them want, which is to know what's going in their food, exactly what's going in their food. And uh, but uh, a lot of critics, there's a lot of critics, and we'll I'll get into that in a little bit of this this legislation. They're calling it the Safe Act, is uh, that's what they're calling it, the uh, Safe Act of 2015. A lot of people actually call it the Dark Act, uh, and it passed back at the uh, the end of July. The House passed it by a vote of 275 to 150, and it basically says that uh, uh, food labeling would become voluntary. They would continue. The uh, the voluntary uh, nature of uh, of labeling, so corporations would not be obligated to states on their products uh, whether it, they contain genetically modified organisms (GMOs). Uh, uh, some people are actually calling it the Dark Act because anybody who is uh, interested in the food they eat, which frankly should be everyone out there, because as I've often said, what's more important than what you put in your body. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, people spend more time thinking about who's going to fix their car, uh, who's going to, um, you know, wire their house, build their back porch, than they do about uh, who's providing, the, who's making the food for them that they go to the store and consume. They just figure that regulators, somebody out there is, is watching their back and making the decisions for them. In reality, we know that's not really the case, and there's so much hypocritical information out there, so much, so much uh, uh, hypocrisy out there. You know, the country of origin labeling. We have country of origin labeling on seafood. Why don't we have country of origin labeling on uh, the meat that we consume? You don't know whether it's coming from China or coming from Mexico, and it's not necessarily to knock those two countries, but they certainly do not have a very good history of, uh, of regulation, of, uh, of uh, safeguarding. The, uh, the the products they put out, you know, um, a number of uh, I, I think immediately China with dog food, uh, with uh, uh, with the drywall, and uh, I think it's 84 Lumber ran into a lot of trouble. That big corporate uh, hardware store that ran into a lot of trouble because they were selling 
these products made in China, you know, building materials made in China that contained high levels of formaldehyde. People put them in their house and they they became sick. Now China wants uh, access to more access to our uh, uh, food uh, markets. They want to be able to process chickens and sell us chickens that are raised in China. Uh, they want to be able to, uh, to sell us more seafood. And they sell it so inexpensively. You've got salmon you've got uh, from China. You've got shrimp. You've got all kinds of fish. And they, the Chinese just don't care. They just they, they go through and take everything and not worry about tomorrow. There's no, there's no sense of, uh, of uh, pride. There's no sense of conservation. In, uh, in what they put out, and uh, I am—I consider myself a conservationist. I'm a hunter, a farmer, and I—I uh, uh, I do not want to. I want to leave something behind for the next generation. I have children. I don't want to just destroy everything, take all I can today, and not worry about uh, what's coming up for my children and their children. I'd like to leave them, uh, leave behind uh, the world better than uh, than than when I was here. And unfortunately, it's becoming very difficult to do that. And exactly because of legislation like the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015, that's making it hard. Now, I want to be, be specific here and say, um, you know, that, that uh, there are a lot of people who believe very, you know, that, that GMO foods are bad for you, that, that there are, they cite studies that show in animals about uh, um, reproduction uh, is diminished when, when animals are fed GMO feed. Uh, they've talked about the, uh, the damage that is done to organ, internal organs uh, when animals and studies have been done on, on GMO feed. Uh, of course, you know, Monsanto and these big corporations have tons of money, so they do their own studies, and they find, of course, that there's no problem with, with their, the, the GMO food. And this debate continues to rage, and there should be this debate, and people should be able to make their decisions for themselves as to whether they want to consume it or not. The decision shouldn't be made for them, especially if they're spending their hard-earned money to purchase products from someone else, you know, and from, from someone uh, someone out there. And there's, so there's a lot of misunderstandings that go on, and I want to be able to uh, to go over some of these and uh, and shoot down some of these these misunderstandings that are out there about GMO food and uh, and about this this what's going on. But first, I want to address this labeling and these labeling laws. And states across the the, the country, there's been uh, uh, um, legislation in state legislatures pushing for mandatory labeling. You know, you've seen it in Vermont, Maine. In fact, you can go, there's a number of websites out there that you can go to and you can find out where your state is uh, on this issue. And I recommend everybody do that. A good one is Right to Know GMO. It's righttoknow-gmo.org. And you go there and, and they have a great map. And you can hover over your map and you can see the pending legislation. They put a lot of work into this, uh, clearly put a lot of work into this. And you can see states like Maine and Connecticut, which have already passed this legislation, um, requiring mandatory GMO labeling on it. Uh, and uh, these the slick uh, corporations, these, these uh, slick uh, corporations which fund uh, uh, these, these are representatives in Washington, which... Uh, you know, donate a ton of money to them. They've worked with uh, uh, groups like ALEC and these other organizations that writes the legislation and lawyers, and they try to be smart about it. So rather than deny the states the the uh, the power to be able to force companies to label their products, what they say is they say, no, everything's fine. We're going to go ahead and just say that it's it. We'll call it voluntary. So companies. They can do it if they want to, 
They don't have to do it if they don't feel like it. And this is the, this will be the law of the land. Uh, and uh, and they effectively, and this is the biggest criticism of this legislation, effectively uh, undermines the efforts of all the states by claiming that uh, through the Commerce Clause or whatever whatever convoluted uh, explanation they have, that since these foods largely cross borders, that uh, that the federal government has authority to be able to legislate in this matter. Now, states, of course, can push back, but you know they're dealing with a very powerful entity, the federal government and Congress, and uh, and they have a lot of money, and they the states take a lot of money from the federal government, and so they don't want to bite the hand that feeds. So you see, oftentimes states simply just roll over and take it, or they get sued. They're they're taken to court by the Department of Justice, by these uh, who are acting, fronting for the major corporations that are out there. And they sue them, and they uh, deny states the ability to be able to make the decisions, uh, local governments to be able to make the decisions for people who are actively involved. And anyone who's ever tried to lobby Congress or communicate with their uh, U.S. representative or their U.S. senator, they find out very quickly it's not that easy. It's very difficult unless you're going in there with a big fat check and you're repeatedly doing it. Uh, it's it's a big deal, and then you have to deal with 534 other members there besides just your congressman. Uh, you have to deal with the rest of of these these people and and get something passed in there. Now the best thing that could happen is that this type of legislation fails, but unfortunately. Uh, something like this passes the House, it's generally going to pass the Senate because the Senate is much more easily controlled. It's smaller. And the senators, two senators for every state, they're that much more removed from the regular people out there. So this bill out here, H.R. 1599, uh, which is the, this is the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015. It was uh, introduced by Mike Pompeo from Kansas. He's a Republican. Uh, and it passed back at the end of July, uh, uh, pretty sizable, um, you know, majority, 275 to 140. That's a, that's a big number. And it basically says in here, you can you can go go to Thomas.gov and look up the legislation yourself and read the summary more thoroughly. But it basically just says that it amends the uh, the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to require the FDA to continue the voluntary consultation process established under the FDA's Statement of Policy, Foods Derived from New Plant Varieties. In that process, the FDA evaluates a scientific and regulatory assessment provided by the developer of a food produced from, containing, or consisting of a plant that is genetically engineered organism. They say GMO. We call it genetically modified organism. That's what, uh, that's what uh, um, GE, you know, there's, there's a number of acronyms for it. Now, there's a pretty good article recently on Alternet that came out that I'm going to read a little bit here, and it's titled Orwellian Nightmare, Congress May Block States from Requiring GMO Labeling. Uh, the, uh, and it, it's, uh, the, the, uh, the, the subhead underneath there is the SAFE Act sounds like it promises accurate labeling of GM food, but li- it likely guarantees that no such thing will ever happen. It was written by Timothy Wise. And the article starts off as the vitriol intensifies in what passes for debate over the safety of genetically modified foods. Scientific inquiry thankfully continues. A Tufts research, Sheldon Krimsky, recently published his assessment of the last seven years of peer-reviewed evidence, finding 26 studies that reported adverse effects uh, or uncertainties of GMOs fed to animals. 
If recent history is any indication, Sheldon Krimsky should expect to be slammed as a science denier. The current vehemence is the product of a well-funded campaign to, quote, depolarize, unquote, the GMO debate through, quote, improved agricultural biotechnology communication, unquote, in the words of the Gates Foundation-funded Cornell Alliance for Science. And it is reaching a crescendo because of the march of the Orwellian, quote, safe and accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015, unquote, codenamed Safe for Easy and Confusing Reference through the U.S. House of Representatives on its way to a Senate showdown in the fall. In an April New York Times op-ed, Alliance for Science affiliate Mark Linus follows the party line accusing environmentalists of, quote, undermining public understanding of science, unquote, even more than climate deniers and vaccine opponents. Slate's William Slayton, and I read that article, actually goes further in a July feature calling those who want GM labeling, quote, an army of quacks and pseudo-environmentalists waging a leftist war on science, unquote. Who would have known that depolarization could feel so polarizing and so stifling of scientific inquiry? The safe law sounds like it promises what polls suggest. 99% of Americans want accurate labeling of foods with GM ingredients. It likely guarantees that no such thing will ever happen, however. Backed by biotech and food industry associations, SAFE would make it illegal for states to enact mandatory GM labeling laws. It would instead establish a voluntary GM labeling program that pretty well eviscerates the demand for the right to know what's in our food. It would undercut the many state-level efforts. Vermont now has a labeling law that survived industry opposition, threats, and a court challenge, which may explain why the industry got busy in Congress. If you can't beat democracy, change it. The Senate is expected to take up the bill after its August recess. The Senate has not taken up the bill right now. It is currently stuck in committee. It is in uh, received in the Senate, read twice, and referred to the Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry. That's currently where it is. That is a side note. That is not in this article. Uh, as written, SAFE is truly a labeling, the labeling law to end all labeling laws. The biotechnology industry is acting desperate for a reason. It's seen Europe and most of the world close its, regulatories, uh, its regulatory doors to GM crops for now, insisting on the same precautionary principle enshrined in the Convention on Biological Diversity and the Cartagena Protocol on Biosafety. That principle calls for a relatively high level of precaution before the introduction of a new technology to avoid the kinds of unintended consequences that have caused such harm in the past, tobacco, thalidomide, DDT, PCBs, and other cases of industry-backed claims of safety that, in retrospect, proved deadly. In a sane world that respects scientific inquiry, we would be engaged in a debate about the appropriate levels of precaution that we as a society want for a technology as novel as genetic engineering. That would be constructive, not to mention depolarizing. Instead, we get pundits like Linus and Salatin tarring anyone who dares call for precaution with the stain of being another science-denying zealot who ignores the scientific evidence that no one has been harmed by all the GM foods consumed in the United States. To reinforce how duped or dumb the American public is, they point to a Pew Institute poll indicating that 88% of scientists think GM foods are safe, while just 37% of the public thinks so. The gap is repeatedly cited as a measure of how science deniers are winning the public relations battle and how ignorant the U.S. people are on the issue. Maybe not. 
is it really a surprise that nearly 9 in 10 scientists think a new invention is good for society? Not really. As Joel Achenbach explained in his otherwise good piece on science denial in National Geographic, we all suffer from, quote, confirmation bias, unquote, the tendency to interpret information in ways that confirm our existing beliefs. True enough. And guess what group scores high for confirmation bias in favor of technology? You guessed it, scientists. Honestly, I'm shocked that 12% of scientists think GM food isn't safe. What about skeptical public? Are they really just ignorant and brainwashed? Or is their confirmation bias perhaps informed by their repeated experiences with big corporations telling them something is safe or good for them and finding out it's deadly? Who in the United States has not lost a family member or friend to smoking-related disease? Given the negligence of U.S. regulatory authorities in accepting industry claims of safety, is the public really so foolish to be skeptical of both industry and government? Washington University's Glenn Stone drove the scientific point home nicely about how long the process of scientific discovery of hazards can be. He documents how DDT was suspected of a cause of breast cancer, but studies kept failing to find a link. This is until 2007, when an intrepid researcher thought to ask if girls exposed to DDT during puberty had a higher risk of breast cancer. More than half a century after they were exposed, she found what no one else had, a five times greater risk in such girls and a significant additional risk in their female children. On GMOs and labeling, Stone asks if all the evidence is really in just 20 years into this experiment. Are there comparable studies of GM effects on pregnant or lactating women and developing infants and children? No, there are not. For those still willing to look past the campaign slogans and slurs, science is still happening. The author writes that his colleague at Tufts University, Sheldon Krimsky, examined peer-reviewed journal articles from 2008 to 2014. Contrary to the claims of consensus, he found 26 studies that showed significant cause for concern in animal studies, among many studies that showed no harm. He identified clear evidence that proteins transferred into the genome of another plant species can generate allergic reactions even when the original transgene did not, a scientific finding that undermines industry claims that the transgenic process creates no instability in the genome. Scientists even have a name for such a gene, an intrinsically disordered protein. Krimsky found eight reviews of the literature, and they showed anything but consensus. Three-sided cause for concern from existing animal studies. Two found inadequate evidence of harm that could affect humans, justifying the U.S. government's principle that if GM crops are, quote, substantially equivalent, unquote, to their non-GM counterparts, this is adequate to guarantee safety. Three reviews suggested that the evidence base is limited. The types of studies that have been done are inadequate to guarantee safety, even if they show no harm, and further study and improved testing is warranted. What about the much-cited consensus among medical and scientific associations? Krimsky found no such agreement, just the same kind of wide variation in opinion, which he usually ascribes to differing standards, methods, and goals, not ignorance or brainwashing. Krimsky goes out of his way, however, to document the industry-backed campaigns to discredit two scientific studies that found cause for concern, and he warns of the anti-science impact such campaigns can have. When there, quote, when there is a controversy about the risk of a consumer product, instead of denying the existence of certain studies, the negative results should be replicated to see if they hold up to rigorous testing, unquote. That would have been a refreshing and depolarizing industry response to the recent World Health Organization finding that Roundup-ready herbicides are a, quote, probable human carcinogen, unquote. Instead of calling for further study to determine safe exposure levels, the industry called out its attack dogs to discredit the study. Who here 
is really anti-science, is how Wise ends his article. And, and this is the point here. You know, I, uh, I don't consider myself, anyone who listens to the show regularly, I don't consider myself a Luddite. I don't consider myself anti-technology. I don't consider myself, uh, I'm using, you know, exploiting technology right now by using blog talk radio, which is an inexpensive format, in order to, uh, to host this radio show and this radio network. Uh, and it allows us to get out to, you know, thousands and thousands of people uh, inexpensively and uh, and get our voice out and get the message heard out to, to so many people. Um, and so, and I use this technology and I use the Internet. I, I live on the Internet. I have a smartphone. I use technology regularly uh, to uh, um, to research things, to communicate, to uh, um, uh, to to spread the word. And... Uh, so I am not anti-technology. I am not anti-science either. Uh, but what I am is I am ex- cynical, unfortunately, and I am extremely distrustful. And I've said that about my view on vaccines. Two weeks ago, I had a very good show on with uh, my friend Jim uh, Spunius from the company Caratech. And we, we spent a great deal of time going over the issue of vaccines. And he had a lot of evidence, tons of evidence, to show just how dangerous vaccines can be. Uh, and uh, there are studies coming out now to show that there are links specifically among certain demographics uh, reactions to, to vaccines. And, but, but my biggest beef is that I do not trust the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies just like I do not trust these large corporations that they are going to tell us the truth because the conservation, because uh, leaving a better world tomorrow is not in their Makeup. That's not their corporate policy. They make. They may involve themselves in some form of greenwashing, where they try to pretend that they want to uh, to clean up, to to not pollute, to produce quality foods. But you know, anyone who's out there, you see the obesity epidemic today. You see what's being produced for food in the grocery store. Uh, you can see that it largely is there for the profit and the benefit of the corporation and the shareholders who own those corporations. That's all they care about. They don't care about, about the health uh, of the, uh, ultimately of people. They don't care about uh, what they're doing to the environment. And it is becoming increasingly difficult to find corn, for instance, that is not contaminated uh, to some capacity by the GMO products. Of course, corn cross-pollinates. You can't grow two different kinds of corn right next to each other because it'll cross-pollinate and uh, it will, when, when it uh, tassels out after it's growing and it spreads the pollen uh, on the grasses, corn is a grass, and, and then the, uh, the ears of corn grow after that, uh, it spreads all around. And uh, so it's very difficult to grow organic corn with, uh, with having this GMO corn all around. Thankfully, I don't have anybody directly that does that, but I imagine the corn that I grow, if you looked at it, is probably contaminated. I grow a corn that dates back to the 19th century, uh, and stole evergreen is the type of corn that I grow. It's very difficult. It's hard to grow, uh, and the deer seem to love it, um, but it's, uh, you know, you can't just hose it down with herbicides and then uh, um, uh, to kill all the weeds and then plant the corn and put down your chemical fertilizer on it, and uh, and then it has uh, um, the uh, um, parts of uh, the, the bacteria Bt inside, which when these uh, the worms come in and try to consume the corn in the inside, they eat it, it gets in their gut, and, uh, and it kills them. Uh, and it also kills butterflies and all kinds of other insects that are out there. Uh, we have to be, you know, you just have to be meticulous when you're growing it, and it's a lot of work uh, growing it. Uh, but... Uh, 
Um, I enjoy it. I like it. Uh, for me, uh, the the issue is control and control over food. And this is the thing that really fundamentally bothers me the most about uh, GMO in general is that you have these corporations that are creating these terminator seeds that will not reproduce. Uh, they will not, uh, uh, if you try to grow your own corn based on that, you try to harvest the seed and grow it next year yourself, um, you cannot do that. A percentage of it will not grow. Uh, and for um, seed that they produce that is genetically modified, they patented it. And so if you harvest the seeds, you collect, dry the seeds, and follow the process for doing that, which people do, this is the time of year to start doing that. Uh, you do that, then, um, and you do that on a regular basis, you could find yourself getting sued, uh, especially if you turn around and sell that seed to your neighbors or people you know or, or other consumers that come to your organic farm. You can be sued and be put out of business by these corporations which have filed patents on these particular seeds and this food. And that is my biggest objection to it, among other things. You know, there is quite a bit of debate about the damage that is doing, and I think that there are, you can see in there, that there have been studies that require that, uh, that require uh, 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 further research into the uh, uh, health concerns over GMO products and what kind of effects they're having on people, uh, ultimately, and what they're doing to our bodies. Because uh, this is, you know, you, you listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson and these other guys who get out there. These, you know, these are the faces. These are the uh, the rock stars of science. You listen to them, and they poo-poo and dismiss it and say, "Oh, well, humankind for millennia have been genetically modified crops." Uh, and we know that, of course, by cultivation and uh, and you know wheat, the uh, the um, wheat today, for instance, uh, is not what it used to be. You know, it is not. It is related to um, uh, previous, you know, early grasses. Same thing with corn. Corn today is not even the corn that I grow is not like you know the the corn that the pilgrims would have found here growing wild uh, on that. Uh, it was domesticated. It was cultivated, and uh, they uh, they specifically crossbred in uh, certain aspects of it. You know, there's uh, you look at the chickens and pigs today. Chickens are a perfect example of that. That uh, from Asia somewhere, they were these tiny little birds that they were cultivated. And the chickens that that you know that we grow today, whether it's the 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 Australorps that I grow or that I have, or the Rhode Island Reds or whatever chickens that these have been, you know. Many, many, many years of uh, of domestication and and uh, and intervention on the part of uh, smart farmers to get the type of animals that they want. Now, corporations have taken it to the next level with chickens, obviously, because you have these Cornish crosses, which are uh, are have been patented, and you also have these uh, they call them Freedom Rangers. These are these other popular ones that are out there for meat birds that are raised as a guy who sells them up in Pennsylvania that you can order your chicks and the Amish. There's an Amish guy. And they have an amazing feed to uh, uh, weight conversion, where they uh, they they in three or four months these chickens are ready to be butchered, whereas uh, a normal chicken or the chickens, the Australorps or these other chickens that you grow, they don't uh, they they'll take a, a solid year and they won't grow anywhere near as big as these Cornish crosses, these big white chickens uh, that are out there. And the side effect of that with these the Cornish crosses, for instance. They've grown so big that their organs can't sustain the size of their bodies, their hearts, their livers. Internally, uh, the organs can't sustain them. So they, if you do not butcher them within, um, you know, the, uh, the, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, have, I have some friends that ended up with some, and they, 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 you know, the chickens had 
characters and personalities like chickens do, and they grew attached to them like pets. And they ended up didn't butchering them. And, and within about, I think it was about a year and a half, the chickens just died on their own because, again, they raised to this, this they've grown them so big that their internal organs cannot keep up. And they've, they've simply, they just died on their own. Uh, and that happens with turkeys as well. I raise heritage turkeys, Narragansetts, and I've got these uh, these bourbon red mutts that I have. Uh, and uh, the, uh, we call them the industrial birds, these broad-breasted bronze and these other type of turkeys that are out there. That, uh, that that's what you get in the grocery store largely. These ones are bred by corporations. They've grown so big that they cannot reproduce on their own. They have to have intervention from man. So you have some guy who's actually is collecting the, uh, normally what turkeys and chickens do is they just, you know, the, uh, the rooster presses his, they call it a cloacal kiss, where they just press their back ends together and the rooster fertilizes the hens, kind of, kind of pushes the hen to the ground, gets on top of her and presses his backside up to hers and then they fertilizes the hen that way uh same thing with the turkeys these uh these these um, tom turkeys that they've grown have grown so big they cannot reproduce on their own so you have to have some poor guy out there who actually artificially harvests that from the the, the from the turkeys and uh and then goes and fertilizes the hens in order to keep this process up so that they can uh, they can then uh create these 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 Frankenstein turkeys, these massive turkeys that grow within five months, six months, are big enough to uh, to be butchered at full size, uh, optimum size, and uh, and then they can go ahead and uh, um, sell them for a, a pretty good profit margin on that. The turkeys I raise are not really profitable. The chickens that I raise are not profitable, except for eggs. Uh, the turkeys that I raise, the eggs are, are very good, and they're like duck eggs. They're very good also, but again not profitable because they eat a lot and uh although there are people like Joel Salatin who are experimenting with pasteurization and just letting them essentially free range like wild turkeys do and uh, so you, you reduce your feed costs and you get better the meat is better because you get better quality uh, marbleization in the meat you get more fat in the meat you get more flavor in the meat uh, as they they take more time to to grow uh, versus these industrial birds but they destroy them anyways with the industrial birds because they immediately freeze them and in my opinion, the turkey meat breaks down, and that's why you end up with this soggy, soggy turkey on Thanksgiving, as opposed to a fresh turkey uh, that is never frozen. The meat is 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 uh, much firmer, and uh, you don't get that same watery, soggy. They also don't they brine them normally in the stores, soak them for a long time in salt water brine to to help break down some of the meat. And uh, when you get them fresh, it's up to you if you want to do that. I actually do brine my turkeys uh, in a five-gallon bucket that I've sanitized and leave them that way for, you know, for six or eight hours or so in that bucket. But then they also hang for two days on top of that. So, so there's, you know, there's, there's lots of things out there that, that, uh, that you can do. But, but I am not against the technology of doing this or, or the, uh, the technology behind it. My, my biggest concern is that, one, uh, how are these corporations controlling our food? Will it come a day when it is legal to grow your own food and to keep your own seed because everything is so contaminated and you can go around very quickly and find out whether the corn that I'm growing, you know, that I've been growing for years has been contaminated by 
you know, by the corporation's corn that has a patent in it, and then he can claim that I'm violating his patent and uh, and sue me and and shut me down. And this could happen in in this country, and uh, and it is it could happen. And science fiction writes about these things all the time, and these corporations that end up, you know, and effectively we know corporations have you know run the government for us. And this 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 new uh, uh, this this uh, Safe Act that's out there is a prime example of that. Uh, that was absolutely was corporate interest that got involved in that and wanted to shut down this food labeling because they know as soon as they start labeling GMO products, they know that uh, uh, that it could be, a, um, you know, for, for most people, it will be death knell for them. It will be the end. They will lose a great deal of consumers who will, because uh, other companies will be promoting their GMO-free products that are out there. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, you've got side-by-side, you've got... Uh, uh, you know, corn that is something that has corn and soybeans, genetically modified corn and soybeans versus genetically uh, versus, uh, you know, ones that have been cultivated and domesticated. Getting back to what I was talking about earlier, you know, that, that, that these uh, that the claim about this this uh, domestication and cultivation, how farmers have been genetically modifying uh, crops uh, and animals for years. That is true. But the difference is, is that the extent to which it is done today in science in a laboratory is you know it, it's 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 unheard of the uh, the fact that they take bacteria parts of bacteria and actually are putting them into the genetic makeup of corn in the seed that's there you know that that uh, farmers can't do that we can take two similar kinds of corn and uh, put them together uh, and uh, um, and and produce. <clears throat> Excuse me. Produce a form of corn that uh, that grows bigger and uh, <clears throat> grows better. Uh, you can do that. You know, uh, you can do that by by uh, you know. It's a little more different with fruit, where you have to take you know you you you're not quite sure what's in the, what's contained the genetic material that's inside the seed there. Uh, but uh, that's why grafting got popular with that. Rather than growing, you know, fruit, you don't necessarily grow fruit trees from from seed. You graft because uh, because then you can control what. Uh, what is uh, what you're actually producing? You know, otherwise, if you grow it from seed, who knows what's in that the, the genetic makeup of that that seed that grows into a, a fruit tree? But the uh, but as far as crops are concerned, you have the couple tomatoes you like, so you you can cross pollinate them, and uh, you can you know you you can get them to uh, to 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 you can hybridize some of them. You can hybridize uh, 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 certain plants that you like that that cross pollinate uh, by putting them next to each other. And, and do that, but but uh, fundamentally, these are these occur naturally, and these are things that that you know that change over the years. This is not taking bacteria and placing it inside of uh, uh, inside of of corn, or or creating it so that it is resistant to pesticides that you use, and uh, chemically resistant to pesticides that are used, and, and manipulating it that way. That's that is that's it's a big difference between those two. Uh, the difference between uh, you know peasant farmers uh, growing these and uh, and so it's uh, you know that, that whether they you have companies like Monsanto or Cargill are intentionally changing what what I guess you could call the traditional cycle of uh, open pollinated seeds and uh, and and there's a combination of that the, the seed saving uh, the changing of the seeds and then also uh, disrupting self sufficiency on the part to to effectively force people to grow, purchase their seeds and grow them. Uh, and they've done this in countries. They've tried it in India. They've grown it in, uh, they've, they've tried to force this. They've tried to do it in, in, the, uh, in, in, in Latin America as well. And, uh, and that's a problem. And, and another big problem is we've seen a serious decline in, in biodiversity of the foods that are out there. 
the types of foods that are out there. So you end up with these uh, these viruses, and their big farmers are beginning to see it more and more in the crops that they grow, with uh, um, uh, resistant with these uh, these weeds that are growing resistant to the herbicides, the Roundup, this glyphosate. And that's a whole other issue, getting into glyphosate and the dangers of associated with glyphosate and the toxins and what glyphosate is doing, you know, that they're beginning to see some studies of uh, frogs, for instance, um, uh, you know, affecting their reproduction uh, because of these uh, glyphosates now are polluting waterways all around. And uh, who knows what it's doing to people and to the farmers who, have, uh, who are spraying this glyphosate all over their fields. Uh, who knows what uh, what kind of damage that they're doing to their communities? I mean, this is this is scientific stuff that needs to know. So, uh, you know, I think one of the more famous examples of uh, of the extent to which that they are starting to genetically modify um, animals, for instance, is that the the case of that salmon, which was never a, there was enough of a pushback on there that uh, um, that. Uh, uh, um, uh, that, that I believe that that was was shot down, um, uh, but well, actually, I, I'm I'm incorrect. The uh, the um, uh, that it, the FDA, I believe the FDA is still uh, looking over this. Um, I don't know if I'm I'm just looking at it real quick right here. That uh, that this particular salmon that's there, it's a uh, they call it Aqua Advantage salmon, and that's a trade name for genetically modified Atlantic salmon that was developed by this this uh, corporation. And what they did was they took uh, uh, genes from uh, Chinook salmon uh, and also genes from another type of fish, uh, other ones, and then they put them in the salmon. And they also added in some other things to, to try to bump up the uh, beta carotene in there to change the colors and so on that's in there. And uh, uh, in order to grow these massive salmon that grow faster and uh, um, uh, that they uh, they grow faster and that they uh, you know it's more profitable for them to raise that and there's quite a bit of pushback on this about it and there's some some testing on it uh, that's been done with this in these uh, in these fish pens the concerns are that the salmon will get out and that they will breed with uh, other Atlantic salmon and you could end up with uh, affecting the reproduction of Atlantic salmon as well because you don't know how these are going to go in the wild salmon how it's going to affect a wild salmon yet in there, and uh, whether these genes get into uh, um, get into the wild salmon and will have a uh, um, uh, you know how they'll affect the wild salmon. Now, of course, science pushed back against this. They say, oh, it's been fully studied and so on and so on. But you know, you just don't know. And these are things that you would think, as conservationists, as people, that these are things that we should be careful about and that we should be uh, be concerned about. Uh, alfalfa was another example where they had tried to do genetic testing on alfalfa, and there were great concerns about how that was going to affect and uh, what was going to happen uh, with that. Uh, the, as of as of today, you know, you've got uh, a number of uh, um, crops have been approved already by the USDA, and uh, everyone generally knows corn and soybeans. They're the most popular genetically modified crops that are out there, and uh, the majority of which is produced in the United States. But you also have cotton. Tomatoes have been genetically modified. Uh, canola rapeseed, which produces canola oil, genetically modified. Potatoes have been genetically modified. Beets, and specifically sugar beets, most of the sugar you get that is from sugar beets comes from genetically modified sugar beets. 
that are out there. And it's very difficult to find GM-free sugar beets if you ever want to make your own uh, um, sugar or if you want to uh, feed sugar beets to your livestock. It's very difficult to find GM-free sugar beets. Mangelwurzels is an old version of the these old beets, the sugar beets, these giant, those are those giant, uh, giant beets that grow in the ground that were commonly used back at the... Uh, in the uh, the 19th century for for feed papayas rice has been genetically modified alfalfa uh, as I said before um, uh, flax tobacco plums roses and even apples have been genetically modified and apples are grown in the United States that have been genetically modified and uh, of course much of this has been done to so that they can last longer they can put them on a truck ship them across the country uh, without having to worry about you know how these things are, whether they get bruised up, and if they look pretty, uh, you know, and 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 this is this is a lot of it, and this is one of the things that frustrates me to no end, is that uh, that we're you know they're conditioning consumers today to only want to eat you know this shiny red apple that that doesn't have a bruise in it or doesn't have any type of uh, um, you know that 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 looks a certain way, but it's tasteless if you if you grow. Uh, um, if you grow your own apples, you know, and uh, you grow old breeds of apples, which I love, uh, one of my favorite things are old breeds of apples that are there, Spitzenbergs, and uh, anytime you can find them, Newtown Pippins, and some of these old, old uh, Ashton Meads, some of these old uh, varieties of apples. I have a wonderful book called Old Southern Apples, which is uh, um, uh, which which uh, this this guy went through, and he's done uh, d- testing on apples all across the country to find out. Uh, all these different breeds, because uh, for a time, I talked about this earlier with fruit seeds. When you know you plant normally, you plant the seeds in there, and you grow a tree, and you don't know what kind of fruit tree you're going to get because uh, the genetic material inside that seed is not necessarily the same as the fruit that is produced on that. So you could end up growing yourself a tree that produces horrible tasting apples, or it could produce wonderful tasting apples. And if you have these wonderful tasting apples, they eventually developed grafting, where you take a a portion of a branch, you take a branch, and then you put it onto a rootstock, and you can grow dwarf trees, you can grow a full-size apple tree if you really want to, depending on where you place that uh, that cut, the, where you graft it on, on there. And uh, then you can control what type of fruit that, that you have. And it's a product of intervention, and it's good, because back in the day they used to go with seeds, fruit seeds in their pockets, and when I talked about this, is you know, 16th, 17th century, they'd throw the seeds down, and the seeds would grow, and some of the trees may produce some decent fruits. Uh, some of them may produce no fruit. Some of them produce horrible, you know, fruit that tastes terrible and is bitter. Uh, and then they take it, chop it down, and they use the wood for that um, on those trees. But he's gone around much of the country, and he does testing on there. And they have uh, uh, they have a database of uh, they've used technology to be able to name. You know, they 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 love it when someone calls up and says, "Hey, there's an old apple tree has been growing forever, and there are these apples here back behind this barn, and we have no idea." what kind of apple it is can we send you some samples of it and or can you come out and take a look at it and he's he's done this for years and he goes out and looks at these trees and and uh um, and takes these uh takes samples of the trees and then he's able to to uh to based on the uh, the samples there to to compare them to his database of apples and and he's got quite a uh we've developed you know uh, they've named these apples and they find out that you know many of these apples are the same that are that are out there uh, and uh, by luck, sometimes that happens. 
And so then, then somebody thought it was, oh, that this was this kind of apple. Well, no, in fact, it is, it is this other kind of apple. And in this book that he has, Old Southern Apples, he's got uh, a number of anecdotes, great anecdotes, great stories, very well-written book. Uh, and it sounds like it's, you know, be something that's kind of boring, but the, the way that he's written it and uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the anecdotes that are in there and the history of it is, is fascinating. And it's, it's, a, it's, worth, it's a great read that's, that, that I think that's there. But this is, that's a great example of, uh, um, of the difference between that and then these genetically modified apples where they are intentionally changing them so that they can load them onto a truck or onto a boat and send them thousands and thousands of miles away, and, and uh, they, they won't bruise, and they'll still look red, pretty red, shiny uh, in the store. So when you see that next to this other tree that's modeled, uh, next to this other apple that's modeled, might be ugly, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, don't be so quick to judge, because that ugly, that ugly model of fruit sitting next to it may taste a whole heck of a lot better than that, uh, that shiny, unbruised, genetically modified apple sitting next to it, because they are not genetically modifying these things for flavor. They are genetically modifying them for aesthetics and for profitability. And, uh, and that is, that's, that's, you know, and that's, that's a little more, uh, uh, you know, that, that's not as serious as the concerns over, the health concerns over there and the self-sufficiency, the concerns about, uh, about uh, food independence that's out there. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that the aesthetics and, uh, uh, of it, the taste even is, you know, but 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 I think that that's an important part of it. The the uh, the old corn that I grow, I think tastes wonderful. And compared, you can't eat the corn that this uh, most of the genetically modified corn that is out there. You cannot eat. It tastes like it has no flavor. It tastes like wood. The corn that they harvest for feed, the corn that they harvest for uh, to make high fructose corn syrup out of. Uh, the, the corn that they harvest to use, and in, in they, they add it to breads. They add it to everything that's out there. That corn that is harvested, you, you go out in the country and you see these combines, you know, and you've got uh, uh, miles and miles of corn out there. There's, you can't boil it up. You can't steam it. You can't put it on the grill and, and eat it because it just doesn't, it tastes like wood. It tastes like nothing. Uh, that's out there, and um, and that that is intentionally done that way because it is more like it's almost like a building material. You know, it's uh, you might as well go out and uh, eat some grass or or uh, chew on some wood uh, to get the same amount of flavor out of that. And uh, you know, that's there because that's not what they're interested in doing. And this is always my concern with these corporations that 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 do this. And now, of course, governments got in, in, involved in this. And it is my belief that. Uh, that people should be able to make up their minds about this type of stuff. They should be able to make up their minds as to whether they want to vaccinate. They should be able to make up their minds as to whether they want to, uh, what kind of foods they want to eat. And if they don't want to eat genetically modified foods, they should be able to do that without, uh, you know, by going to a grocery store because it is very difficult in some of these smaller towns in order to do that. You can grow it yourself, certainly, and become very, and people who, who are actively involved in food then, uh, then sure, they can do that. But there's a bigger issue here, and the issue is the, the extent of, uh, of pollution uh, that is going on with, with the spread of glyphosate and then also the, the potential effects of some of these GMO crops. And just because you do something, doesn't this, you can do something, doesn't mean you should do it. I guess the, uh, the, 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 the strongest argument against that is the uh, developments in atomic energy and uh, uh, the atomic bomb, ultimately, is that should, have, should those scientists have done that just because they could? Should they have been able to do that? Should they have done that? 
and I'm sure there are plenty of scientists out there now who, who were involved in that in some capacity who regret it, uh, having, having you know, the fact that, that this technology, this science, was ultimately used uh, for, for negative purposes in what it's doing today uh, and uh, what, what nuclear energy is doing today. Now, now people aren't stupid. They're, 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 they're distracted. They, they work very hard. They oftentimes are you know, focused on just trying to pay the bills and put the food on the table and maybe take a vacation once a year if they can to go to the, go to the beach or get a little boat or something to be able to go out and do some fishing. Uh, and uh, um, so I don't think people are stupid. I, I think that uh, that people can 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 make decisions for themselves and should be able to make decisions for themselves on these things. And to, to sort of run around and say, oh, they're anti-science and it's ignorance, and we need to force them into this situation in order to do that, I think is wrong. I think it's dumb to do that. Uh, and I think that uh, that by doing it uh, under the radar quietly. Through this, this really, really burns me up when they do it, like with this, this so-called Safe Act, where it effectively, by saying that, oh no, be purely voluntary, they don't have to, to to label this. Whereas you have other communities who are saying we want our food labeled, uh, uh, you know, by 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 these corporate interests going in there and undermining what uh, what local governments and what state governments want to do is uh, um, to me is goes against. The, uh, the what this country was founded on goes against the purpose of this 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 country was was supposed to be you know you're supposed to be uh, a sense of individualism of uh, of uh, self sufficiency um, and uh, now we, we're increasingly heading away from that we're heading to a society where uh, um, you know you're not responsible for anything a if you're fat you know it's not your fault because you can uh, and you you got diabetes you know it's ultimately not your fault. Well, it is your fault because you didn't, you know, and I'm, there are people out there perhaps that, that don't do, you know, do that. But for various reasons, uh, I'm not judging anyone for this, but for various reasons out there, you know, ultimately it is your responsibility to do that. It is your responsibility to go see a doctor and talk to a doctor uh, and, uh, um, you know, and to, uh, to the, the, the modern medicine today, they, they can work miracles. Again, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not anti-science. I think that people need to take responsibility for their health. They need to get up out of their chairs. They need to exercise. You know, they knew there was a time in history when people died from, uh, you know, too much work and, and not enough food. Nowadays, we're dying from not enough work and too much of food. And I guess you could say the wrong kinds of food uh, that's, that's out there. Um, and uh, and that's really is at the core of this, is that uh, that this does take away, again, from people's ability to be able to to have power over their own lives, to determine their own lives. Uh, and I suppose you could go to a health food store. You could go to. And there are popping up across the country these health food stores, and they're popular. Costco, for instance, I just saw a uh, statistic that said Costco is is uh, sells more organic food now than than you know Whole Foods out there. And people are starting to get involved in that. Uh, people, more people are going to their finding up local farmers. They're going to uh, to uh, um, farmers markets. Now, they're, sometimes they're being ripped off because they go to these farmers markets and they don't realize that they're not producer-only farmers markets. So they're buying the same produce at the farmers market that you could get down the street from the grocery store. And the farmers markets don't tell you that. So there is this aspect where you have, really have to be educate yourself and be smart about it. And I think that this is why so many people have trust issues and why you see more polls today where people have you know, less faith in government, they have less faith in uh, humanity, less faith in corporations, because they're constantly, every time they turn around, they're finding out that they've been conned, gypped, ripped off, fooled, uh, lied to, 
uh, over and over and over again. And uh, and that is, uh, you know, it's it's I you can't blame them for that. It's it's the reality of the situation. So when when you have these corporations out there that are pumping out all these studies that say, hey, GMO foods are totally fine. Go ahead and eat all the corn you want, all the corn-based products you want, eat all of the uh, soybean-based products you want. Uh, um, and we want to be able to genetically modify more foods out there, and animals even, and, and cows and pigs, uh, then, uh, then people say, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. You've lied to me about pharmaceuticals. You've lied to me about, uh, uh, about taxes. You've lied to me about war. You've lied to me about uh, regulations. You've lied to me about um, uh, health care. You've lied to me on so many levels that they're, uh, they're, they, they don't, they're cynical. Uh, they're like me. They don't necessarily. They don't put a whole lot of trust and a whole lot of faith in uh, these corporations. They can stand up there and lie to your face and tell you that, well, stu- we have studies that show that kids who drink soda are more hydrated than kids who just drink straight water because they like soda, the sugar in them. They drink more of it, so they're more hydrated. So therefore, they're more healthy. You know, and I mean, it's it's just ridiculous things. And they say this. They do studies like this, and they pass studies like this. Now, a couple uh, about a month ago, I had a show again with. Uh, with uh, it was, I had Jim Spoonius on for that one too, a uh, very popular show, that one, that we talked about all of the bogus studies that are out there that have been done recently. You know, you have anywhere from 2 million studies a year, and they're finding out more and more of these studies are becoming retracted because you have the researchers are, <laughs> they're, they're creating sock puppets in order to peer review their own research, to give themselves positive marks. You know, it's again, they're creating their own emails. They're creating their own, their own separate identities to be able to come in and say, this is, I peer reviewed this. I'm a scientist. This is a great study. And uh, they lie. They fabricate research. Uh, and it is it is an increasingly decreasing number of studies that are out there, and these aren't even the studies that that are there that uh, that you know that that they put out, and then they have some some crazy findings. I, I remember the, uh, the 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 correlation that they were trying to say between cancer and uh, um, uh, these the uh, fish oils that uh, that you take the fish oil pills, the omegas that that supplements that that you take, and uh, I, I laughed in that because. Uh, um, uh, you know, I believe it was that 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 there was a that, that they found a correlation in that, uh, but but I believe that was the same study that they also found a correlation between people who smoked and drank heavily also had a lower incidence uh, cancer rate amongst there. So you would equally say, well, hey, heck, if you smoke and you drink a ton, then you then this study proves that you know you're gonna you're not gonna get cancer as much as somebody who doesn't drink or smoke. Uh, there and so and this is you know unfortunately this is what we're talking about and this is why America has trust issues is because of legislation like the Safe Act like this one that's passed out on here uh, this is the Safe and Accurate the name the Safe and Accurate Food Labeling Act of 2015 when in reality it's not at all it's it's not safe and accurate food labeling they're saying eh. It's voluntary. If you go, if you genetically modify, if you have, um, uh, uh, if you have ingredients in your food that has genetic that has been genetically modified, uh, if you want to put it on the box, go ahead. If you don't, you don't. Now, how is that accurate food labeling? Accurate food labeling is country of origin labeling. That tells you that if you're buying this shrimp, and it comes from Thailand or somewhere in Southeast Asia, Vietnam. You know, and uh, you don't know where it comes from, but you can make an assumption that much of the we we know the 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 fact that you're buying that shrimp that it is probably coming from 
um, unsanitary conditions and where slave labor is used because it's commonly used in those areas where they have children uh, and uh, effectively have slaves. Uh, the same thing on these fishing boats that are out there in throughout Asia where they effectively have, there's been enough, you know, uh, um, anecdotal information, first-hand accounts come out from primary source from, from actual people who were enslaved on these fishing boats, never allowed to leave by, by uh, armed guards on there and forced to fish. And then when they fish, they take everything. They don't care what they take, and they mis often mislabel the fish that's out there. Uh, whereas if you support local fisheries, you know, uh, should you eat shrimp if it's from the Gulf? You know, if you're in South Carolina there and you see it come in on the boats, you know, it's heavily regulated, uh, sure. You know, if you're in Maryland, uh, crabs, you know, absolutely. You know, if you buy American crabs, it's heavily, everybody knows, you know, that it's heavily regulated through these ones. You can at least support American business and, and, and some of these regulations. But these are, this is good, this is an example of good labeling. The fact that you, in there, then you can make these educated choices about what's there. You're not going to make a 100% choice, like if you drive down the road and go down to your local farm and visit your local farm and take a tour of, ask to take a tour of your farm and see the animals and the conditions that he's raising those animals in. Uh, unfortunately, well, with poultry, you can, you can, you know, you, there's a little more leeway for farmers because they can actually produce the, uh, they can, you know, they can butcher the poultry right on their property. Red meat, they still, the, the, the regulations prevent that. They have to truck it to some, you know, large uh, uh, slaughterhouse where, uh, um, you know, they're mixing in bacteria, all kinds of things. And now we've seen as a result of that, you know, ground beef now, they're spraying it with ammonia, all kinds of things, because they're ending up with these antibiotic-resistant bacteria in there, and which is being mixed in. So if you're an organic producer, you still have to take your cow to that slaughterhouse, and then he's being slaughtered in that facility where, they're, where they will come in contact with this bacteria, antibiotic-resistant bacteria that's there, uh, inside that, that there. So, you know, that... This is a problem, and this is something that I think needs to be addressed. And they are, you know, there are uh, local farmers that are uh, addressing that by having what they call these portable uh, slaughterhouses that go around, and they they'll they'll come to you and your farm. And it's better for the animal too, because the animal's not stressed out. And the animal, I mean, ultimately that's what we raise these animals for. They have a de date with destiny. Their destiny is ultimately their food on the table. And but but you know, anything that makes their lives better, you know, is, is certainly from my perspective. And the uh, the farmers that I like to support, you know, we do this because we love it. And uh, we, um, you know, anything that makes the animals' lives better out there in the sun, you know, being animals and enjoying themselves is you produce a better a better quality product, and uh, and you produce uh, um, you know the happy food that that people feel like, you know that. That uh, um, you know that 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 pig or that cow is going to have a bad moment, uh, you know, but it's over pretty quickly, and uh, and then they are processed for food. We are omnivores, and that's what we do, you know. And and uh, but at least you know that an animal had a good life, and you were uh, you were a part of conservation, and you were a part of uh, of uh, um, you know of trying to make the world a better place. And this is really what it's all about. Well, I want to thank you. We've used up about our time here today. I want to thank everybody for listening to the farm. It's every Friday. Uh, at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time uh, on the Overthrow Radio Network. You can go to overthrowradio.com and uh, uh, get more information there. It's, uh, um, I'll be back again next Friday. We've got uh, uh, two other shows there next week. Uh, and besides that, a history show, which is on Mondays, 
uh, and more details in the uh, closing here on the end. But I want to thank everybody for listening, taking your time out of your busy day to sit down for a little bit. Please on these, feel free to call in and uh, email us if you've got any questions. Thanks a lot. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of the week. Thanks for tuning into the Farm Radio Show on the Overthrow Radio Network, hosted by Blog Talk Radio. Farm airs live every Friday from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. Overthrow Radio Network has other great shows as well. On Mondays, tune into History Today with host Paul Angel from 10 to noon Eastern Time. And every Wednesday, there's Who's the Bad Guy with host Dave Gahari from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. For more details, check out Overthrow Radio Network's website at overthrowradio.com. And please take a moment to make a donation to support Free Speech Radio. If you value free speech in the United States, you should definitely support it. Have a great rest of your day, and see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.